Hello and welcome to Mixbus with me, Kevin Paul. This series aims to allow some of the best producers, mixers, engineers and other music industry people to discuss their careers and their approach to music. The success of this series depends on people hearing it, so don't forget to tell your friends if you like what you hear and remember to give it a five-star rating and please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, special offers and promotions. This episode is brought to you in association with KMR, the UK's leading independent pro-audio retailer and recorded in association with Audient and the ID44. Find out more at kpmixbus.com and follow us on facebook.com slash kpmixbus and at kpmixbus on Instagram and Twitter. Today's guest is Alan Mulder. Alan is Britain's premier alternative rock producer, mixer and engineer. Alan has been at the helm of some of Rock's most iconic records. His production, mixing and engineering credits include Nine Inch Nails, The Killers, The Smashing Pumpkins, Foo Fighters, Them Crooked Vultures, My Bloody Valentine, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Arctic Monkeys, Led Zeppelin, Death Cab for Cutie, Foles, Royal Blood, Circle Waves, Two Door Cinema Club, Twin Atlantic, Ride, Queens of the Stone Age, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes and Suede. Hello, Alan. Great to be here. Thanks for being on Mixbus. First question, what went wrong with your career? <laughs> I've been very lucky. Um, I started at a time when alternative music wasn't really something everybody wanted to do. It was actually something people tended to avoid, or it was kind of known more as indie rock then. Mm-hmm. And I started in 84, and people in those days were kind of into being Trevor Horn and making those great big slick productions which you know i like and everyone wanted to show off being an engineer their prowess Mm. and nobody really wanted to do the indie records because they generally didn't sound very good so i kind of liked that music and i got into it through i knew alan mcgee from who owned creation records alan mcgee and dick green i went to school with dick green in Lincolnshire, weirdly enough. And so we knew each other before they had Creation Records. So when they formed Creation Records and I was at Trident, I was kind of a a trained engineer, which generally the indie bands couldn't afford. They, They went to smaller studios. So I got to work with some Creation bands and I started there was no comp- real competition, you know, nobody really wanted to do that stuff and I loved it. So I started, there was me and Flood, basically, we both, we were the two who liked that kind of weirdo music, as they called it. And uh, so we got, a, we got a flying start. Then Nirvana came along and suddenly alternative rock and indie rock, you know, suddenly people were selling records and then all the big engineers wanted to do those records but flood and i had got the track history from the valentines in the mary chain and with flood the mute bands that he did so we had a good head start so i think that worked out well for it yeah is that where you started at trident i started at trident yeah. yeah and and what was that like it was for the most exciting years of my life i didn't sleep still? yeah still still, yeah. still i didn't sleep I didn't make any money. I was poverty-stricken, but we learned this atmosphere in the studio was great. We had, I mean, the people that were there at the time, this Flood was the, the main guy. He was the head engineer. There was We had Spike Stent. We had Chenzo Townsend, 
Steve Osborne, Paul Corkett. I'm sure I've missed some people out, but it was a pretty good roster of people there, and we we're all great friends. Yeah. Everyone was still in competition with everyone, but it yeah. was not a backbiting competition. It was very supportive. Sure. But if anyone made a mistake, it travelled around the building very quickly, and everyone took the piss massively. <laughs> so it was, it was tough, but it was really good fun. I learned so much. Yeah. I'd finally found the job that I wanted to do. I started late. I didn't start till I was twenty-four. Suddenly, I found this thing that I fell in love with and just devoted all my life to. Did you have any idea that you wanted to to be a, a, in the studio, or how did you get to that Trident place at twenty-four? I'd been in local bands in Boston, Lincolnshire, where I'm from. And, uh, you know, you always dream of making it in a band. and yeah. It's not going to happen there. But, you know, certainly in those days it wasn't going to happen. And then I went into a studio and saw that to do a demo and just thought, I like this. You yeah. know, this you is, like this is great. And then uh, I just kind of realised, I was working for the Ministry of Agriculture at the time, and I kind of realised, you know, what am I doing? You know, this is... I didn't, I liked the job, but, mm. you know, I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. And I thought, well, just take a risk and just, those days you just got a job in the studio. There weren't all the schools. It was only the Tom Meister course. And I didn't do A-level music or math, so I wasn't going to do that. That's the one at Surrey University. Surrey University, yeah. 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 That was the, still going. Yes. Still good, but it was more for BBC type people then. Okay. So you just got a job in studio as an assistant in those days, or T-Boy, as it was. You used yeah. to be the runner, as they're now. We used to call them T-Boys, and I managed to get a job, and that was it. I just this day, I thought, this is heaven. First day in a studio, Monday, I think it was Monday, the 2nd of December. I turned up at 9 o'clock and left 9 o'clock the next morning. Wow, that's a great start. It was, it was <laughs> baptism of a fire, but it was brilliant. You know. So you worked at Trident for four years yeah. And obviously you, you managed to stay the distance, as it were. Yeah. What happened then? Did you just go freelance? Did you move well, to another they studio? they sold... Trident got sold. They sold it to another company, Audio One, I think. And they they kept one of the buildings. So, but basically it sold. So I was lucky enough that I'd got enough clients that I could keep going. I got managed by David Stewart from the Eurythmics. Okay. He set up a management company because he got so much work that he couldn't do. He wanted a management company of people that he could give work to. Mm. My now wife, then girlfriend, was in was signed to his label, so he knew me from working on her albums, yeah. Tony Halliday. Yeah. And uh, so he took me on, and so I got to work with Eurythmics and some of his bands that were on Anxious Label, yeah. and his then wife at the time, Siobhan Farhid, so I did Shakespeare's sister, so I worked on her albums too. And, and the record industry then was, was a very different thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. People couldn't spend their money on video games and no, streaming and stuff. You know, music it. was the primary kind of form of entertainment. It was. Um, it was things that people turned to. Yeah. The industry had huge budgets to make really great records. Yeah. Obviously, we're still making great records. We just don't have that budget anymore. No, all time. All time. Yes, indeed. How do you balance that level of expectation where... Yeah, like you say, huge budgets, lots of time. Mm -hmm. We're now in the 2000 and whatever, 19. How do you manage to still produce the same quality of work without that budget? You must have had to change maybe your style or oh, your yeah, workflow yeah. or what would have happened to yeah, you? Yeah, you to have to of... adapt. You definitely yeah. have to adapt. 
we're lucky enough to have this studio. Yeah. So I've got a, a great room, which has got a great mixing desk in it. We've we've stuck to the the old big desks. I mean, I still I work in the box, but I've got the desk. I've got lots of outboard gear. I've been lucky enough to accumulate. So I have a room that it enables me to have a quality. Mm. And I've got Caesar, who I work with, who's my an engineer I work with. That we can split the flow. If there's, I can yeah. do, I can assign work to him yeah. that enables us to get things done quicker. So I can, sure. we can work on two things at once, or we can. And I've got Tom now. I've got, we've got people that enable you to certain things you can delegate. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which sure. I've had been with Caesar for eight years, so mm. I've come as close to cloning myself as I, I can do, <laughs> and so. Having great staff and a great studio really helps. Yes. We make Flood and I make no money from this place because yeah. running costs and everything these days. But it's worth it because it facilitates just to keep, just to keep the keep the standards yes. as high. Yeah. We, we've got a great tracking room upstairs, so yeah, with a great board there. So we've got we've got the stuff that enables us to make the records we want to make without having to pay another studio. I don't know how running this place. I don't know how studios work. As a as a as, as a going as concern. a going concern because yeah. I know what running this place costs yeah. and you know it's it's, it's tight and yeah. and we're we're pretty full you know we're pretty busy so I don't know how they do it. Is it fair to say that you mainly do a lot of mixing now? I do do more mixing, yeah, than production. Is that something you sought to do, or you just sort of fell into, or and you know is is that where you're most happiest in the studio it is where i'm most happiest i think it's come from my time at trident i got when i joined they'd just taken on the second studio which was in victoria and it had an ssl it was the first ssl trident had and i and they just opened it and i got sent over there at the beginning and i learned the desk really quick I'd, I worked out, right. nobody really knows how to use this. Right. So I learnt it really quick. So I ended up, if there was a session in there, I got put on it because I knew the studio. Okay. And those days people would come in to try, they'd have to come in for a day yeah. to try the studio out. And they'd probably, some people coming in to try the try SSLs out. So I managed to get a good grasp on that room. Yeah, sure. Took the initiative. I took, yeah. yeah. I, I learned it and... It worked out great because I got all the sessions in there. Right. And they were the be best paying sessions and the best clients. But the downside was people would come in for a day mm. and that would mean they'd work 24 hours and then I'd have to work the next day. So, yeah. so you didn't get much sleep, but it enabled me to learn that console really well. And so I ended up spending a lot of my time mixing as a mixing assistant rather than a tracking assistant. Okay. So I think that's probably where it came from in the first place. Yeah. And now I kind of I kind of like it. I think I think it's what I'm best at. I like producing, yeah. But it has. To, I know the bands that I think I'll be good for a producer yeah. to produce, and I know the ones that I don't think I'll be able to provide what they need or want. So it's kind of both things. But I I do I like it. I like the yeah. fact that I prefer mixing. It's just for me. It's somewhere where I can I feel I can add the most value. And it's down to at the end of the yeah. day. I like the challenge that. It's down to you. Yeah, you if you've got to get the thing past the post. You, every day you've got to hit the ball out of the park. You've yeah. got to get a tick. Sure. So, 
it's a challenge. It's yeah. you know, and I, I like that. You get addicted to that kind of yeah, yeah, for sure. You, do, you definitely get addicted to that kind of expectation and, yeah. and desire. We spoke a little bit about the studio here. Yeah. How long have you and Flood been in charge of this place? We started off taking on my mix room downstairs. That's the first room we took on. I think that was about 15 years ago, I think. And that was the only room we had here. And slowly, we've taken over most of the rooms in the building. We've, after that, we took over this room, AMB2, uh, the, the yeah. tracking room, which was run by Barney, who's the tech staff. And uh, we put a Neve console in and we got our tracking room, which had, the idea was downstairs would be my room, the upstairs would be Flood's room. Okay. But obviously, when you're a producer, you can't always dictate where band's going to record. You can suggest it, but obviously Flood couldn't be here all the time. So then we ended up taking over the, some of the programming rooms as well. So we had one downstairs a studio we called Dave, which Catherine Marks is in. Okay. She's just taking that on off us. She, she has that on her own. We've got an, another couple of studios which we've got uh, other people in. We've got um, a band called The Afterwood in one, yeah. and Tim across isn't the one across the road. Yeah. And by extents got the one next door, which yeah. he his guy Dave uh, does a lot of his tweaks for uh, labels who are in England when he's in America. And Spike, Spike will use it sometimes, but it's kind of yeah. a mixture between Dave and Spike's room. So that's like almost like a, a reunion, really, of the Trident. Yeah, it's it? great. He it's, just he just wanted to be in a building where yeah. um, his friends were. For sure, yeah. Why not? So it yeah. all goes back. We're still. It's one of those things. You know, it's like in this business, you don't see people one of your people yeah. for years, but you when you meet up, it's you back where you. Yeah. You know, you back to where you back were. Back to where you were. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you took over the studio, and you know, you've you've turned this into a. From, from what I can see, you've turned this into a, a real place where, a place of creativity. Yeah. You know, like, as you say, you've got uh, incredibly talented people working here. We have, yeah. And you have a very good program of bringing people through. Um, you, we spoke about Catherine. Yeah. You've got Caesar, who yeah. you said. Cecil, Cecil Bartlett. Up, up, Cecil up Adam Bartlett. He's, well, he's doing very well. He's been working with a lot of, lot of artists he's very respected he, he's great he's brilliant too. he's just great producer in the making if i'm looking to get a job in the studio mm -hmm. and somehow i wind up at the door of battery what are you looking for from me what makes you decide to hire tom as opposed to hire somebody else what 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 is it that you're looking for in in a, an assistant to come into the studio is it education from college is it something no, else what, would, what are you looking for it's their personality it's funny because all that we got a lot of people there, and they're all completely different, right. completely different people and personalities. But there's all there's a there's a common thread of their passion for what they do that they they all have. Everyone's got that same ambition and passion. So I'm looking for some. We look for uh, some of them have been to school, some of them haven't been to school. It makes no difference to us because really they're still going to... They they, they they learn technique from school and they learn, you know, technical stuff, which is great. Yeah. But they don't learn how to be in a session and they don't learn a lot of the other stuff that yeah. we take for granted. So you're kind of starting from the ground up 
already. Okay, so again. you sort of strip them all back down and say, well, okay, right. They, they, there park, is. Park I got what you've learned. I got season. They generally come on work experience. Okay, that's, that's how oh, we okay. generally find them on work right. experience. So I know people say about the work experience thing being a bad thing. Yeah. Not for the people who've come here. They've, yeah, sure. We've got them all from work experience. Yeah. Uh, Catherine came over from Australia just to work with Flood, and then she ended up with me. And then Caesar came from work experience from Lippa, and he knew so much about computers. I thought we need a guy to run our rigs. Okay. I think Flood took on Cecil, and I took on Caesar. Yeah. And. They, they come in for the. We just see something in the people. Okay. And Tom, same thing. He comes in. His knowledge of music is amazing. His depth of knowledge of music. He's the thing. Okay, well that guy has got an ear. He he, he understands it. Yeah, he understands yeah. it. And it's just you just get a feeling from them. Sure. And what ends up is they they end up not going home, or they 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 turn up and they won't go. So you end up having to employ them, kind of. <laughs> I guess it's that doggedness, though, that actually shows shows their desire. You that's know, the, it. You, know, you spot the ones... The guy that wants to leave at five o'clock. That's it. The guys who come and work experience at leave on the dot of five. Yeah. You're not going to warm to them as much as yeah. the one who's there till... I mean, some of them have to get leave at five because they've got to get home yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but, of course, but yeah. As a generalisation, you, you, you spot the ones that are really in it for the right reasons. And sometimes with work experience, you get people come in and at the end of it, they go, I've realised this job isn't for me. Sure. Because as you know, it's it's not for everyone, this. If you don't absolutely love it, it's going to, you know, it's going to kill you. Well, it's a lifestyle, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, it's, it's, not, it's a vocation. Yeah. That's what I, I see anyway. And between Flood and I, if they, we always try and make sure that they work for both of us. Okay. Because we are very, very different how we work. And... It teaches them completely different things, which I think is a very, gives them a much rounder education. How do you work? I'm very methodical. Okay. Can you, like a can classic you maybe, mix engineer. Can very, you maybe describe that a, a little bit deeper? Like, so you're, you're mixing a band, for instance. Do you have a, a set way of working in terms of approaching a song? Or? It's just how it's set up. I want it set up a certain way just from a start. But I, when I actually approach it to mix it no it's it's not really the same not really the same uh, i try and if i do an album to give give each album a different kind of okay i'm going to use more different stuff on this or something just oh, to, to, okay. keep, to keep me interested really as much as anything yeah so it's not it's not mixing by numbers and no, it, you know so I can't, you, yeah. i've tried that i can't do it <laughs> doesn't work but uh so i'm very organized and very structured you you mean with your Pro Tools or your desk? Everything or your, kind of is tidy and kind of... Okay. Mm-hmm. We have a system. Okay. And uh, that's kind of thing. Flood is chaos. And his genius comes from managing to ha- work in this chaos where everyone thinks, what the fuck is happening? And uh, suddenly something great appears. So they learn both sides mm-hmm. and the value yeah. of both sides. Sure. How do you encourage those people that work with you to venture out? They're almost like like your children in some way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you, you've, you've spent a lot of time nurturing them and, and showing them the studio. How do you sort of encourage them to go out into the world? What's, what's their... Well, I you, mean, I know you're not 
necessarily responsible f- for that, for them building their careers, but you, you obviously have an influence to them. We introduce them to clients. Right. You know, and so they get to meet people and we actively promote them when we are, okay. uh, have yeah. record companies or bands. And so they'll probably end, they'll start off maybe doing B-sides for them or live mixes. Yeah. They start to get our client base, you which, feed them in. which you feed them in. So yeah. then they start, then the record company will be aware of them. And so they'll think, okay, well, let's give them, you know, we've only got this amount of money, let's try yeah. these people. So Excellent. we kind of pass on our clients to them. Yeah. And then it gets to a point where they get taken out of the studio they want to take them on to do a project somewhere else yeah and so they get their own clients and they and then it and kind then of off. goes off what i do love about this place is they come back to work in the rooms and yeah. they we try and provide this as a home or a base for them to come yeah. back to because what's great is you're in a room there's, all, there's people around all the time. Yeah. This place isn't, as you can see, we don't spend money on the decor. The doghouse, which flood, which is an old tape store, which we've converted into a room because floods, flood was ending up run, running out of time on album or budget on albums. So we managed to create a room for him where he could finish them off. The kind of right, when, it, yeah. when the budget had gone, and so we got these little rooms that people go in and just make music, and it's great. So, I mean, yeah. People who come here either get it or they don't. They either, they either miss, they either don't like Wilsden and, yeah. and yeah. it's not plush enough for them yeah. or they just get a sense of the building and, and yeah. the creative. We had Duran Duran here this this year a lot. Oh, what was which, that like? Well, I thought they're going to hate it. And they're, they're, <laughs> you know, this ain't Rio. You, know, no, you just, you just sure. think of their videos. Yeah. And they loved it. And they, keep, they come back because oh, they get the place, which was a joy to us. Well, well that's, that's that's the highest compliment, isn't it, when it people is. come back? yeah. When you start a mix, what uh, first, first thing thoughts? I do is I listen to the, the reference mix yeah. from top to bottom. Okay. And then I will decide whether I'm going to mix it on the board or in the box. Sometimes I'll break it out at the desk. I'll put print it in the box, the, the, a mix in the box, and yeah. I'll break it out on the desk and just run it through the desk yeah. and listen to the two and decide which is which suits it better. Okay. Sometimes budget will dictate whether I just go straight in the box because it takes longer the desk because if I'm using the desk, I'll get it to a point, then it'll be stemmed extensively and I'll go back in the box. So it always ends up back in the box because you do so many tweaks these days, you have no choice, really. Yeah. Once I've decided which I'm going with, mm. old school, I start with the drums and bass. And I will start from where that person is, what they've given me, and shape within that. Yeah, because those reference mixes or rough mixes, yeah. is what we're called, they're not necessarily rough or reference mixes anymore, are they? Now, a lot of the sounds and stuff that are their plugins are the production. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people, have, because of budgets, they have to record very quickly. It's changed. It used yeah. to be you'd spend a long time recording and then mix it in a, in a day. Yeah. Now sometimes I think we spend longer mixing it than they've spent recording it because yeah, sure. that's the way it is. So a lot of the effects that are in the box are part of the production. So you can't really 
sweep the board and start again, I, I, I find. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because they're almost partly mixing I think from, I, from the first That's it, from, from the beginning, yeah. And I find that what I tend to do is there'll be a lot of stuff across the mix bus these days. That's Okay. That, that comes in, so I take that off. And I try and get it... My first thing would be trying to get it sound like the ref mix without the stuff on the mix bus. Okay. So, as you know, the, the mix bus makes it sound exciting, all the, yeah. the processing, but when it gets loud, it distorts, the dynamics are gone, you're yeah. losing all the transients. So I try and get it to feel like that. If you, if you can get it to feel like that without the stuff on the mix bus... You're in a good, you're in a great shape yeah. because you're getting all the the air and the depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, what the the ref mixes generally nail is the excitement and the what the what the producer yeah, wants to the hear. The intention. Yeah, the intention. Yeah. So you're working on your drums. Do you use any form of replacement or yeah. sample? Would I enhance? I don't, I don't replace. Yeah. We the first job, an assistant gets when they come to me is midi mapping right so i don't use the quick replacements i get them to midi map it okay and that's using contact or, or something i use like battery that. battery okay right battery and appropriately uh, <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so they do that midi mapping which is a skill in its own sure yeah. making sure that you don't miss the ones also sometimes when people have edited drums in a hurry they'll be what I call a false transient at the beginning. Yeah. And when you do the the um, tab to transient, it'll go on the wrong one. Right. So it, the samples will be slightly off. So then you actually have to go and see, you'll see where the, the real transient is when you zoom in and then you have to move them all. So it take, takes a while. Yeah. But then once you got them, it's all, you know, you can change samples, add samples, everything's face coherent. So that's quite meticulous. That's obviously very important, isn't it? Yeah. Getting that right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I've listened to a lot of your work over the years. Right. And your mixes always just have this incredible intensity to them that, for the love of God, I cannot get anywhere okay. near. And I'm I'm very curious, and I'm going to ask you about a particular song in, in, in a minute. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and see if you if you can shed some light on, on that particular song. I'm hoping you'll remember it. It's, it's a great song. How are you managing to get that intensity? Because are you using saturation? Are you driving the mix bus? Are you doing both? Are you using distortion somewhere? I really don't know. I generally don't like the way things sound. So okay. I keep struggling to try and get it to a point where I, did, I don't hate it, the way it sounds. And I, I kind of, I don't settle very easily on something. So I keep pushing myself to try and get it how I find it, how I want to hear it. Okay. Which sometimes I don't know. I just keep trying stuff. A lot of stuff doesn't work. So I just yeah, sure. keep trying stuff sure. until something happens. And sometimes you, you'll just be exasperated and try a piece of gear that you think you hate. Yeah. And then that, piece of gear just saves your bacon right i do like stuff to be quite intense i think it's from yeah i think you're shaped by the music you grow up with yeah whatever. i mean you, you did a load of the, the the nine inch now stuff which was probably 
as intense as it could ever be. Yeah, that's that's um, yeah one of my favourites. I don't, you know. So I mean, I'm sure there was an education, a learning curve yeah. there from from Trent. You know, yeah, okay, and from the Mary chain. Right, okay, and, yeah, and that's, so that was pretty. Have you carried that with you? Some good violence. Have you carried there? that? Some good violence. <laughs> good musical violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you carried that with you? you yeah, I, I, those are the bands I love. Yeah. I, I mean, I I, yeah. I love that intense. I mean, but it's not to suggest that you only work with that band because you do nice, pleasant indie music, yeah, um, as well. It's it's not everything you do no, is no, kind of like ah, no, it's true. But you know. a lot of it, is. no, a lot of it is, yeah, uh, for good measure, yeah. For, for good I, reason. I, I, I guess it's because I do get a lot of stuff that's quite dense, right? That's okay. why people probably think, oh, this has got a hell of a lot of stuff on it. I'd probably be going on the bad phone. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't I don't know. There's no there's no real plan behind it all. Right. You're just, just trying stuff and then when you feel the magic. Yeah, well, I, okay, that's not working, let's try this. Yeah. Okay, that's not working, let's try this. Okay, that I really wish it was I know what to do with this one. Because yeah. I'd 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 be a lot quicker. I'm not very quick. How long does it take you to do a mix? Very it varies. It's generally more than a day. More than a day? Okay. Generally. Generally a day to do battle with sounds. Right. And then the next day, it's a, I come in and it's a song again. Okay. And you start, I hear it as a song and I start right. to work on making it better as a song. Yeah. Rather than pulling my hair out about drums, which... Right. Which, which, which is what we all do. Which we all do, yeah. yeah. Drums and bass, right? Yeah, Drums and bass. Yes, we're all yeah, going, yeah, exactly. How do we get that bass to yeah, sound good? Yeah, how do we get everything to sound clear, yeah. The record that I wanted to talk about was Foles, mm -hmm. The Foles, and a particular record called What Went Down. That's mixed, yeah, that track. I love that track. Me too, it's one of my favourites. One of my favourite mixes, too. What I love about that track is that when you get into the chorus, you've got what I can only describe as six seven eight nine ten db of volume right it literally just goes vroom. and how, how did you do how, how did you do are you using automation continuously to push yes. into the mix bus yeah we do a, there's a lot of automation right that's what that again started on on the desk the, the, the to be fair the production is great and, and of course, yeah. and the ref mix, James, I, James, James Ford, Ford yeah. and the ref mix I got was great. We had to mix that album very quickly, so it's probably I didn't have the luxury of stroking my beard over it. I had to get on with it, which sometimes is is the best thing, you yeah. know. So I just tried to really extend their their ref mix yeah. and take it to the next stage. And I, I love tracks i love the band yeah and i love amazing. i love Incredible. that track it was a great one to work on it wasn't that it actually wasn't that difficult i don't remember it being yeah. i don't remember there being a time for it to be difficult yeah. so it was just there was a lot of automation but it was all there really i'd, right, like, to, I'd like to take all the credit for it but is there a piece of equipment that you use all the time or is there a favorite process that you're always using in the studio when it comes to your mixes what what is there something that you've that you carry with you, kind of from track to track, album to album, session to session? There's or has that changed? There's, they kind of change around. I've got an Alicia compressor that I really love, that I use on drums. Um, in, in, what, in what way do you use it on the drums? As a um, parallel. I love it because you can... There's an EQ filter on it, so you can 
send the kit to it and roll the top off so you don't get just the symbols to it. Okay, yeah. I've got a new, newer one. I've got a overstayer stereo compressor, which I love. That's got the filters on that overstayers are kind of synth-based rather than EQ-based, so they have a different tone. And the compression on it, it's really, really good. And it's got a mix knob on it, which is okay. brilliant. So which that, is always helpful. Yeah. Those two things I'm re I'm using a lot. Uh, I've got an EMI or Chandler EMI TG. TG1 compressor, which I love on vocals on limiter. It makes life hard for you because it brings out all the pops and the S's and the T's and all the dirt in between. Yeah. But singers seem to like it, gives it like a little bit of drive and it just sits it. Yeah. Do, do you use a lot of limiting in the mix? I use a bit. I use, I don't use um, limiting much apart from, I, I guess I do really. I mean, everyone yeah. does these days. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I use yeah. Uh, the, the TG1 hardware but i use some of the software ones i use the uh, renaissance axe a lot on the on bases the r based very simple yeah. kind of limiters for uh, listening copies i use yeah. the ozone eight for the maximizer sometimes that goes out to the client yeah as, as sometimes a, as... i it's either that or if it's a rock band i've got a lavery gold a to d right. which is mint it was the first piece of gear i bought for the, the studio it's a fantastic a to d converter and it's got a soft limit built in it i don't think the new ones have but this is like an analog soft limit and basically works on clipping rather than limiting too much okay so you get six dbs so that's that will be my listening copy we'll go through and that, that goes out to the clients before mastering and then, and then you take we send that to mastering, mastering and then we send the unlimited one to mastering yeah, sure. sometimes they use the limited one what, what's what's your is there a, a, a consistent mix bus that you use? Not really. Um, on on the desk, when yeah. I'm on the desk, I have a Obsidian compressor, which is okay. like the SSL one, very like the SSL one, but it's got a high pass filter in it. Okay. And I think it, I think this SSL one sounds great for drums. This one sounds better for guitars. And do you use an EQ? Have you got? A I have master a G EQ GML. Or? across the mix but i quite often don't eq anymore since i got okay. weirdly enough since i got pro tools 12 or then the hdx right i'm using less eq across the mix bus okay so the converters i was gutted be, yeah. when i spent all that money on pro tools of 12 <laughs> and hdx i thought christ i could buy a great car for this <laughs> then i got i came in and caesar had fixed it all up for me which i'm very lucky so i came in listening and thought Oh, yeah, it sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then suddenly I thought, you know, actually, I'm glad I did oh, it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm EQing the mix a lot less. Okay, interesting. So, That's But then when we print the stems, that all comes off. So How? I, I, Actually, I do run through a, a Varimu as a well. Yeah, which... Yeah doesn't compress i just like this they're running through it so that goes that's that's on when the stims are printed so no compression no no actual gain reduction not really no just just okay. the tone of it yeah sure um so but then it get when he goes back in the box i'll either put the obsidian back on yeah or replace it with a software one like glue which the glue is oh yes i know this that's compressor. very that's, very yeah. similar to the obsidian yeah and well it's it's, it's, it's modeled on the ssl isn't it it's a it's, but it's got the high pass. It's got the high pass, yeah. So I'll it's been around for a long time, actually. It's a, it's it's a good, good little compressor. It's really good. Plug so I'll either use that and then 
the ozone just, just for a, a bit of EQ, just, just, just a bit of volume. Sometimes, sometimes I'll put a bit of um, the uh, multiband compressor on it just to. My SSL can bring out those symbol frequencies okay. that make your teeth hurt a little right. bit. So sometimes I'll just use a very gentle bit of that to calm those frequencies. Okay, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And um, when you stem off your work, mm -hmm. you said that you do some intricate stems. How how detailed are we talking about here? Are we talking about literally individual, every single track? And what about uh, reverbs? Well, we will... The drums now will be stemmed individually. We worked out a system where I can stem the kick snare separately and then what will happen is what's across the drum bus will go back on okay. we'll stem them with that off okay right. but it'll go through sometimes i run it through to generate some helios for the line amps rather than the ssl oh okay. and uh, it just makes it a bit more open and through sometimes i've got uh, an inward connection eq that will sometimes do the bottom and top so they'll be printed through those yeah and then they go back in. So the drums will be... I mean, if there's a top and bottom mic, that'll be printed as one. Yeah, sure. So it's not all... Sure, yeah. It's just the core, like the kick, the, the snare, snare, the toms, the overheads, the rooms, they'll all be printed separately. Then the guitars, obviously, if there's separate mics, they'll be bounced to a stereo rather than okay. all the separate right. mics. Okay. And the bass will be one. So yeah. And what about your reverbs? Are you printing guitars with effects or are you separating your effects out even with your stems? No, uh, on the vocals they'll be separated out. Okay, like I've, got a, I've got an EMT plate that we'll use and that'll be, that'll be yeah. stemmed separately and the, I've got an AMS uh, DMX okay. 15 which yeah. I love. I would, that'll be recorded. So all the effects will be recorded. Okay. All right. So it's, it's, it's literally the mix in the box. Yeah, but also the, all the yeah, all the vocal effect, reverbs will be recorded as well. Somebody stays up all night doing it. Tom, now. It was Caesar. Now, Tom. One track at a time. Yeah. Four minutes. We call it stem party for one. <laughs> You've got the glitter ball. You can put that on. Listen, I, le I leave about nine or ten o'clock. See you tomorrow, Tom. And he's still here at nine he, or ten o'clock. Yeah, he's here pretty late, yeah. <laughs> Have you got any sort of suggestions for things to try to avoid rather than things to try to do? Well, we've touched on it with limiting. You get reference mixes that are so fucking loud now. Yeah. And I understand why. We all understand why. But it, it starts... Then, but, but then what happens is you feel like you have to compete with it because can you trust the people to... When you're listening back, to not compare it on their laptop to their reference mix and be just impressed by the volume. So if you can calm that down... And sometimes limiting is used to make up for poor production. The excitement comes from limiting rather than right. a performance or the sounds. Okay. Which, again, I understand we're all up against the time crunch. But the hard work you put in at the beginning makes everything else better and everything goes down the line feeling better. That you... So I just say just try to avoid not crushing the life out of everything.
I don't see how you have too many problems with the loudness of your records compared to others. Well, you, you do. Yours are pretty loud. Well, that's <laughs> only, right up there. That's only, but that's only because. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Okay, so say you know your client comes in and's got a rough mix, and it's you know seven decibels of of gain on on the limiter, and it's just absolutely you know squared off completely. It's the pain how, how do you deal with that in terms of not necessarily? your style of mixing because you're not going to change what you do to, to compete with it but you have, you, to, you have to compete with it do you ever have to end up having to say to the client don't listen to the rough mix for volume because it's not going to be that I will say I couldn't get my mix as loud your mix is 2dbs louder than mine so if you're comparing it turn that mix down 2dbs okay yeah and I'll explain why I don't want to sound like somebody who's saying oh modern this is how modern life is it's this bottle's been there since the 60s. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. people trying to, we're using limiting and trying to get things loud. And there's yeah. always the, all oh, the Americans get more bottom end and their tracks and they're louder in the 60s. It's, it's been going on forever. Okay. It's just a different, it's just different set of rules now or a different set of toys. Are you referring to the rough mi uh, the I reference mix I a lot while you're working? A lot, yeah. I okay. do, re I ref yeah. reference mix a lot. That's interesting for people to, to think because I think, you know, when you're starting out mixing, uh, you know, we all have that. You, you're never sure if what you're doing is good. When I started you know. out, I used to A, B to CDs all the time. Okay. I would, uh, I think when I went, I went to the Smashing Pumpkins and I remember the first day we were listening to stuff we'd done and Butch Fig was playing some mixes he'd done or he'd worked on and they were listening to some of mine and I thought, hmm, I got a lot. <laughs> I got some stuff to learn here. And so I started A, being constantly to records that I thought sounded amazing. Generally, yeah. Andy Wallace work. Andy, Andy Wallace, Wallace yeah, was the yeah. bane of my fucking life. Because I kept Have you ever worked with him? No, I met him once, which was a very, <laughs> which was, I, did, I told him that he was the bane of my life as well. Because I used to listen to his drum sound and just kind of collapse how good it always sounded. His drums and bass always sounded killer. Yeah. Everything sounded killer with him. He's brilliant. He was yeah. like a big, a massive um, hero to me. So okay. I had A, B to his work a lot. Uh, it used to be, um, it was Nirvana, and yeah. then it was uh, the first Rage Against Machine yeah. album. Which is unbelievable. Phenomenal. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, the, the work, that record does sound just absolutely incredible. Yeah. So it made work a lot less fun because you were constantly going, oh, Christ, and it made it very it, it kind of technical a lot for, right. the, for the first day yeah, trying to sure. get that thing. But it made at least you knew you were in. If you were competing with that, you were in a good place. I don't do that so much now because I know my room so well. Yeah, but now I ab to the rough mix a lot. And and if you're let's excuse me, let's say you are comparing yourself to Andy Wallace, how do you try to work out what to do? Like what's I don't know. You, <laughs> That's again, a trouble. Again, again, you're like, okay, let think me I'm just try work with the snare. You think why you couldn't know? I be an Andy Wallace? Yes. That's phone him up. It's like, ah. But uh, I, I'm just you're just trying stuff, fiddling you're, around. You're, you're yeah. not. You're not overthinking. Are you overthinking angry. it, or are you just just going at the board and just say, okay, or are you remembering something that you you saw or tried five years ago, six weeks ago? I can't remember what happened yesterday. So, <laughs> I, so, so it's literally the process isn't. It's a isn't, frustrating isn't a, process of trying stuff out, fiddling, getting annoyed, 
and uh, try more stuff. Somehow like get in there, get into a point where you you don't hate it, or you you you're in the ballpark, and that's once you got to that point, it's like you can start to enjoy yourself a bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. It's war. I would say it's war up till then. Okay, it's you versus the, the you versus, you the, versus track. the track. Yeah. I think that's a great place to leave it. Alan, Thanks, it's Kevin. absolutely pleasure. I think you're going to share lots of stuff that people are really going to enjoy. I hope so. And uh, you've got a great thing here with the studio. And, um, I'm very proud of it. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Mix Bus with me, Kevin Paul. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the whole series on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join me for the next episode. And until then, goodbye.